Okay, 2 Timothy 8 through 14 is the verses this morning. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now have been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 2 Timothy 8-14. through This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, thanks for this, uh, this great day. What a fun day, God, it is to, um, to be able to celebrate your kindness and uh, bringing forth the Pences and the Sheltons. And what a great day is every day is to sing your glorious praises. For, God, you are worthy. You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. You're worthy of our lives, that you've, in fact, purchased our lives our lives are no longer our own, they belong to you. And um, God, I pray that, uh, that you would uh, protect and guard, Holy Spirit, uh, your word this morning. I pray that I would stand behind it, that I would bring no offense. I pray, God, that we would be ones who, whose hearts are fertile to uh, desire to be changed by, by the word through the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that we would leave here today um, understanding more of your sovereign grace. And I pray, God, that that understanding would compel us to um, want to live our lives in full submission to you uh, for your glory and for the good of the elect. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. amen. Good morning. So we are, uh, <clears throat> just put a cough drop in my mouth, sorry. If you're new with us here today, welcome. If you've been here forever, welcome as well. Um, we are uh, launching into the book of 2 Timothy. This is our second Sunday um, in the, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy. And uh, we've titled the, the sermon series, uh, what did we title it? Finish line. Finish. What is it? Finishing the race. Thank you. Yeah, wow, you guys are paying attention. And, uh, and today, it's, uh, the, the sermon is titled, Not Ashamed, and we're going to be going, as uh, Heather just read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. You know, there was, uh, as I was reflecting upon this, I thought about a family, a large family, actually, that had a reunion just a few, years, a few weeks back. This was a religious family, and this family gathers once a year to celebrate the matriarch and the patriarch of the family. This large family has eight children. It has, uh, these eight children have eight spouses. And the patriarch and the matriarch have 18 grandkids and 13 great-grandchildren. This family uh, knows that I pastor 
a Protestant church. This is my family, that this matriarch and this patriarch are my mom and dad who, uh, that we get together once a year and we celebrate Parents' Day. It's the only way to get a big family together is to combine two Hallmark holidays and um, take over some park in Denver. And we do that. And, and my family knows that I'm a pastor of a Protestant church. They, they know that I left the Catholic church um, years ago. But I'm not sure they understand what I believe and what I'm aligned with and who I'm aligned to. Um, the patriarch, when we were at this, at this picnic, this family reunion, the patriarch, my dad, um, called um, seven of us kids. Um, all eight of us weren't there. But he beckoned us to a tree at the park. We were all at the gazebo, and he says, hey, I've got something I want to tell you kids. So him and my mom went to the tree. The seven of us went over there with him. And, and this is the third time this has happened that I remember. The first time was that he told us that my mom had cancer. Second time is, is that he told us that we had a sister, uh, an eighth, that my mom had had a, a child um, out, of, out of wedlock, um, obviously before they were married, and that we had this sister. And, and, and this sister, my mom reconnected, and it's been really fun, actually, to get to know this, this um, eighth sibling. And this one, my dad pulls us over there, and he says, he says um, you have a new family member. I'm going, like, we're his kids. We have kids, and they have kids. We would know if we had a new family member. So I'm going, what, is, what is dad up to? And we go over there, and he goes, he says, your, your cousin Ricky... Ricky Harold, Harold is his middle name, is now Renee Dorothy, that, um, that, that she is now, um, he is now, uh, she, he is now identifying as a female. And as I kind of looked at this half circle of siblings, about half the siblings were kind of going, hey, that's kind of cool, that's, that's a great thing that, that uh, he's able to do that or she's able to do that. And the other half of us are going, I don't even know what to say. You know, what do you, I mean, what do you do? We were encouraged to write like a congratulations note and didn't know how to do that. Um, I, I think if any of you have known, what are some of these uh, uh, family, what's this sitcom thing, family, um, sorry, I'm having brain farts this morning. Um, but anyway, if you ever want to like make a lot of money, I think you could write something on our family. There's, there's just a ton of dysfunction. So I, I go back to the gazebo after that, go, wow, what was that? What just, what just happened there? And um, I go back to the gazebo, and I'm talking to um, Sharon, who is my sister Janet's um, uh, married partner, and, um, and Sharon, who I love. I mean, I just, I love, I love this lady. I, mean, I, would, I would die for this lady, actually. Um, I love her. And, I, um, and she said, uh, Danny, um, do you have a few more minutes? And when somebody says, Danny, I know that it's either an old girlfriend, I'm in trouble, or somebody knows things about me that, I, that they shouldn't know. And she says, Danny, do you have just a minute? Well, it's Danny Joe. I know I'm really in trouble. She says, Danny, do you have a few minutes? So I sat down. And I said, sure. And she goes, um, she goes, you know, Janet and I got married. Um, they didn't invite us. They didn't tell us about it, by the way. Um, I, I don't know what I would have done if I was invited. I, I don't know if I fully worked through that. Um, but, if, but they're married. She goes, you know, Janet and I are married. And she says, I've got a cousin that because Janet and I got married, that they're turning, she's t- he's turning the entire family against us because I married Janet. And she goes, what do you think about that? And I've been avoiding this topic for 24 years. I've been avoiding talking up to my sister about this for 24 years. And here it is like, like okay, Lord, I mean, this, this, this is a tight family. Um, I could tell her what I think, 
and I could be ostracized from the family forever. I mean, there's that real possibility. That's kind of how we operate. We're, we're a family of principle. And so I sat down, kind of prayed under my breath. Actually, I didn't pray, so I'll be right back. And, and I said, okay, Sharon, I said, um, I think your cousin is wrong. I think your cousin is wrong. And here's why I think your cousin is wrong. Well, let me tell you first what, what he's not wrong in, that your lifestyle, what you're choosing to live, is sin. Choosing to live a gay lifestyle is sin. But let me tell you this. You are no more of a sinner than I am. You are no more of a sinner than I am. And, and then I further said, um, I also believe, Sharon, that, that you do have a same-sex attraction. And I believe that Janet is attracted to you. The sin is, is that you're living it out. That's the sin. And just like a, a married man who is attracted to same sex would live it out outside marriage of one man, one woman. It's an equal sin. And then she said, um, why would God make me this way? I mean, why, why am I attracted to the same sex? I said, I don't really know for sure. Um, I do know this, that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that our first ancestors sinned and that every human being from that point on was, was infected with a sin nature and that all of us are not good little people, as precious as they are, sleeping in mama's lap, but they have a sin nature, and they need salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And I just, I just shared with her, went on to, to share a little bit more, uh, told her, don't agree with, I don't agree with your lifestyle. Um, I told her that Jesus came to pay for your sin. And then after all that, she said, Danny, my cancer's back. She had ovarian cancer 10 years ago, and she said, my cancer's back. And I said, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. Can I pray with you? So we just prayed. We just prayed with all this, this noise and stuff going on. And, and I, was, I was grateful because I, I feel like I haven't gone after that. To almost 25 years of them being together, um, I've hoped that that conversation wouldn't come, honestly. Because I really thought that it would mean um, sh being shunned from my family, and I love my family. I don't want to be shunned by my, from my family. And what you're going to see here today is, in this passage, is... Paul encouraging Timothy in the church to be bold with the gospel, but to deliver it in a faithful and loving way. You see, this preacher guy in Kansas that goes and pickets like uh, gay parades and stuff like that, if, like, if you were to like, picket my sister's house, you probably know what I'm talking about, like, like um, God hates gays. Um, I would go down there, and I would just tap him on the shoulder. And before he turns around fully, I would hit him right in the face. And then I'd probably jump on him, and I'd stick Patrick Ness on him. And I'd say, you tag you and have you finish him off. You see, because God hates all sin. And Jesus came to pay the price for all sin, for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus and then are saved alone by Christ alone. 
And I wanted to ask you, were you, and by the way, nothing happened. I prayed for Janet. We just we prayed for Sharon. We went on our way. Nothing happened. But where are you at? Where are you at with this? Do you, do you feel like people are beyond the right, the, the, the saving right arm of God? Are you willing to be bold with the gospel if God tees it up for you? Or are you like me at times where you are ashamed of the gospel? You might not think you're ashamed of the gospel, but I think that as we look at this, this passage today, you might go, wow, there's that, I'm operating as if I'm ashamed of the gospel. So last week we introduced this letter that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive back into, this Paul's second letter to Timothy. It's Paul's last letter to the church. And Paul is in a dark, wet, and cold cell on death row, row waiting execution. And he, uh, this is his last letter. These are God's words. All of this Bible, all 66 books are God's words, every, every bit of them. Um, Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. So, and this is his last will and testament of sorts, if you will. So this is, all the books should be uh, heeded and paid attention to. But this one, for me, carries just a ton of weight. I mean, Paul was a unique apostle. And this is his last letter to the church. Last week we saw, in verses 1 through 7, we saw Paul encourage Timothy to fan the flame of the gift of God. And what that means is is that that at salvation, at the moment of salvation, I know some of of us don't know when we were saved exactly. You can't like point to a date. But But you were saved. There was a time when you were saved. And at that moment you were saved, you received God's Spirit at the moment of salvation. And when you received God's Spirit, you also received a spiritual gift. And spiritual gifts are to be used to glorify God, to edify the body, and to make, name, make the great name of Jesus known. And Paul told Timothy, fan the flame. Fan it. When you fan the flame, what's the flame doing? It's getting bigger. And he's saying, you've got a gift. Use it. Fan it. And then in verse 8 here today, he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Whenever you see a therefore, you've got to ask the question, what? What is the word, what is it there for? And so he, he starts with an encouragement to not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. He said, he said earlier um, in verse 7, for God has not given you a, a spirit of fear, but a, but a power of love and self-control. Therefore, since God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and self-control, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord. It's, he starts with an encouragement to not be ashamed of the testimony or the gospel of the Lord. The gospel, even if perse- persecution should come as a result, uh, don't be ashamed of it. And we can only live this way, brothers and sisters, by the power of God. If it wasn't for the power of God at that picnic, I would have cowered. I would have cowered it again. I would have tucked my tail and said, "Hey, uh, you know, can, you know, can I shoot you an email?" But I felt like God really wanted me to engage that. Being ashamed—what does it mean to be ashamed? Being ashamed is hiding something we know to be true, and it's a result of two different scenarios. This is what being ashamed means. We're we're ashamed when we hide what we know to be true. First scenario, we're not sure we really believe what we believe. Think about a, um, gosh, you could be a Republican, you can be um, a Democrat, you could have voted for Hillary, you could have voted for Trump, you could have, um, you could be a Bronco fan. I was told that I've got Cowboys colors on today. I didn't, come on. 
I didn't even know the Cowboys were playing today. That's how much I liked them. They, they're still in Dallas, right? This one. But, but you can, what he's, what he's saying here is that, that, that when we um, draw back from something what, that, we, that we think we believe, when somebody asks us about it, like, did you, did you vote for Hillary? When you vote for, voted for Hillary and, you, and he asks you if you voted for Hillary and you go, I'm not sure I should say that I voted for Hillary because I'm afraid that he'll be, he won't be my friend anymore. Or I voted for Trump. I'm, I don't want to admit it. Well, that's being ashamed. And that's what Paul's saying here is that, that you're not even sure that you believe. You're not, even, you're not even sure what you believe for sure. You can't defend it. The other is this, that we fear, we fear others that they, and how they might respond. We're, we're ultimately concerned about our reputation, how others might think of us. So two reasons for being ashamed of something. One is that we don't really believe it, and the other is we're afraid of how other people are going to respond. When we're not ashamed of something or someone, we're willing to associate with that person or with that organization or that concept or with that team. Regardless of what others might think about the gospel in this case, we boldly, gladly cling to our association rather than cave into the opinions and thoughts of others. So the opposite of being ashamed is to willingly align or associate with someone or something. The opposite of being ashamed is that we align with, we associate with, willingly with whatever that is. In addition to that, we will not only testify to our association as to why others should associate, but we, we invite others to be a part of it. I mean, some of you know that I'm, I'm like a, a CrossFit evangelist. And I know you hate me for it. Like some of you pray for me that I might break my arm and start, stop talking about it. But, but not only do I believe that it's a good thing for me, I believe it's a good thing for other people, so I tell people about it. And that's how you know that I'm not ashamed na, 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 of CrossFit. Hmm. Think about it. You may not think of it as being ashamed, but ultimately that's what it is when we are not bold in our proclamation of something that we believe. We're ashamed of it. In another way, others might be aware of your affiliation, but when somebody challenges the the validity, validity of your belief in that affiliation, you cave in and you retreat instead of making a case. When someone gives a testimony about our Lord, they are taking the stand as a witness to what they know to be true. Chris talked about this a couple weeks ago at the park from Acts 4. When the Pharisees told Peter and John to shut up, stop talking about Jesus, the Pharisees said, stop or we're going to beat you and we're going to throw you in prison. And Peter and John says that we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. They were beaten, they were thrown in jail, and they were released. You know what they did next? They kept talking about what they've seen and heard. That they were not ashamed of the gospel. It wasn't that it was their job as apostles. They couldn't help themselves because of who they were in Christ and who Christ was. Last week at a picnic at a friend's house, I spoke with a casual acquaintance. Who I, who I see twice a year. I see him um, actually at Halloween, and I see him at this friend's picnic. And, 
And um, we, I couldn't even remember the guy's name, but we had this like 45-minute deep conversation where he knew I was a pastor. He knew that I um, associated with Jesus Christ as my Savior. And he kind of cornered me and started talking to me about yin and yang and how God is um, energy. And I'm, I'm going, man, I need to Google this because I don't even know yin and yang is. I think it was a cartoon series with Tom and Jerry. That's about all I know. So, um, and I really feel like I, I cowered because I, I didn't, I, I, I feel like at that moment, even though I didn't recognize it and look at this passage, that in that moment, I was ashamed of the gospel. Because I, I, God teed it up for me. I mean, like, like, don't, like, don't give me a pass, by the way. Some of you are going, well, maybe the Spirit didn't want you to open your mouth. Um, God teed it up for me. The Spirit wanted me to open my mouth. But it's like I, there was something in me where I just, I, I just couldn't move forward. I was, I was ashamed at that moment. Aligning with Jesus was controversial then, and it's controversial now. There's a book and a video series. Some of you have seen it. I have, I, I, I've seen a couple of the videos, read part of the book. It's called Not a Fan by Kyle Edelman. Edelman. And I think there's probably some bones in the book, but there's also some meat. And, it, and, and the premise is, is that, that God hasn't called us to be a fan of Jesus. Like that, you know, Jesus, he's a good guy. We're called to be followers of Jesus. If you were to look at statistics of people that identify, self-identify as Christians in America, it's, it's over 70%. But when you press into that further and ask um, what percentage of them believe in the virgin birth, believe that Jesus lived a sinless life, believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father, believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, it drops down to below 25%. So as ones who profess faith or salvation in Christ, we are not fans of Jesus, we are followers of Jesus. We are called to follow him. Jesus said that whoever would follow after me would have what? Eternal life. Not whoever is a fan of me or who thinks I, but, but who, the ones who align with me. Second half of verse 8. Paul goes, goes on to say this, that not only are we to not be ashamed of the gospel, but we're to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. You're going, oh, great. We just barely made it through Job, and now he's talking about suffering again. <laughs> Two things we need to know about what Paul is saying here. He's not talking about um, normal suffering. He's talking about Christian suffering. He's talking about suffering for the sake of the gospel. There's all kinds of suffering in this world. Um, you, you don't have to go uh, very far in this body, actually. Um, you, you probably got to go about three seats over to find out that there is suffering in this body. Um, all kinds of suffering. This world, in this world, there will be trouble for all of humanity. But, God, but Jesus says, take heart for I've overcome the world. But what Paul is talking about here is suffering of Christians, He's talking about suffering for the gospel. Number two, Paul is not saying that we should chase after suffering or seek it out or to unnecessarily put ourselves in harm's way. Phew. To be a Christian, you don't have to suffer. You don't. There's a, there's a tattoo that I've been talking about getting, and it's the, it's the Arabic letter for N. And the reason that, I, that I've wanted it is, A, it looks kind of cool. 
But B, well, that's actually B. A is, is that in Syria, the um, ISIS is painting this Arabic letter N on Christian businesses and Christian homes who identify, align with Jesus Christ. And there's just a part of me that just, I just, I just, I want people to know that I align with Jesus Christ. But Nancy said this to me a few weeks ago before we were in this passage. She says, she says, isn't that just stupid? <laughs> yeah, my wife says stuff like that every once in a while. I go, well, <laughs> it's kind of cool looking. Would you get it with me? She goes, that's stupid. She goes, she says, you're inviting trouble. That's a, that's a mark for people to, like, seek you out. And I thought, about, after reading this passage, I think she's right. The point isn't to suffer for suffering's sake, but to live and speak in a way that testifies to the gospel, to not be ashamed of it, even if suffering may come as a result of your testimony. Oswald Chambers said it rightly. He says this, to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Paul did, whether it means suffering or not. Yeah, I'm not going to go there right now. So how do we live this way? How do we boldly and unashamedly testify to the beauty and reality of the gospel? Paul tells us at the end of verse 8, this is how we do it, by the power of God. Uh, Before Nancy and I went to the park with with the Hardy clan, we prayed. We said, God, um, if you've got some divine appointments with us, for us, have us open our mouth. Give us boldness. Give us boldness. And, and sometimes we don't pray that way, and there's opportunities. Sometimes we do pray that way, and we don't take the opportunities. But we genuinely wanted to... I love my family, and it would be horrible, actually, if they dissed me. But at the end of the day, I want, I want to pray that God gives me more of a compassion for their eternal state than my relationship with him right now. So we just prayed that God would give us boldness. And he did. It's the boldness of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God that Paul talks about here in in verse 8. It's the power in us to proclaim when we're feeling wimpy. And it's the power of God to save. Romans 1, Paul says it in verses 16 and 17. He says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes? That there is no salvation without the gospel. To the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here in verses 9 through 10, Paul reminds us of both the source and the grounds for salvation. The source of salvation, verse 9, he saved us to a holy calling set apart by him and for him. Verse 9, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. If you know Jesus Christ, you have been set apart from the power of sin and from the power of Satan and from the grasp of death. That death has lost its sting and that you've been set apart to live a life for Christ. We're not to be removed from the world, but we're to operate in the world. He saved us and called us to a holy calling for his own purpose and grace. And folks, you may not like this section. It says, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 
Ages is literally before time began, God saved us by his purpose and by his grace. He called us to himself before the ages began. It's called the doctrine of election. And it's it's a mysterious doctrine. Um, I don't fully understand it. But it's in God's word, so I believe it. I believe it. It's, it's, and, and whenever we see the doctrine of election in God's word, it's always brought up in the scripture for you and I, the believer. It's for us. It's for a practical purpose because, number one, it, it engenders deep humility and gratitude. To know that God would choose me, knowing the type of sins that I would commit, that just, that just raises up humility and gratitude in my heart, and it should do ours as well because we don't deserve salvation. Secondly, what the doctrine of election does is it brings peace and assurance. What God has secured, nothing can undo. You are saved by His grace, and you will be held secure by His grace. There's nothing that can undo that. In verse 10, he talks about the grounds of salvation. Nine was the source of salvation, and 10 is the grounds of salvation. Salvation has always been through faith, but it has now been manifested throughout um, Manifested by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, John Stott says this, both divine stages were in and through Jesus Christ. That the, the election before the ages and the manifestation of Jesus as our Savior, both divine stages were in and through Jesus Christ, but the giving was eternal and secret, while the manifesting was historical and public. And he goes on to explain what Jesus did for us. I love this. What what did Christ do when he appeared and proceeded to manifest God's eternal purpose? Verse 10, he abolished death and he gave life. Death is the one word that summarizes our human predicament. Romans 6.23 says what? That all have sinned. How many? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No, that's the wrong verse, sorry. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That was, that was Romans 3. The wages, it's not even in my notes. That was just a bonus. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Wages means what? Payment. The wages for sin, all, all of sin, thank you, Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the free gift is grace. So what happened What did Jesus do? He came to abolish death and gave life. He gave us life now in Christ, that if you have faith and trust in Jesus, you are alive. That that It says in, in Ephesians that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but now we are alive by his mercy in Christ Jesus, and you will never die. That when you hit that tape at the finish line, you will hit that tape and pass into immorality, immortality, immorality. You'll never die. Well, both of those, actually. I want you to remember who's writing this and what his situation is. It's Paul. He's facing imminent death. Any time, any minute, any day. The great truth that Christ abolished death and brought to light life and immortality had had to bring Paul great comfort as he awaited execution and wrote this last letter to Timothy and to you and I. 
So brothers and sisters, we don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. And we can lovingly go for it. We can risk it all because death has been abolished, that we are secure by his grace. Verses 11 through 12. Paul says this this gospel for which I was appointed, or, or this suffering for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Let me go back. Verse 10. Verse 10, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. At first reading, it might seem like that Paul suffers as he does because he was appointed a preacher, apostle, and teacher. That's wrong. He's not suffering because he was appointed an apostle, a teacher and a preacher. He is suffering because he's proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. He's suffering because he's aligning, as you and I align with the gospel. Not because he's an apostle. Not because he's a teacher. He suffers not because of his function, but because of who he is aligned with. And he's aligned with God who chose us by his purpose and grace before time. Paul suffers because he witnesses to the reality of salvation in Jesus alone. He suffers because of his affiliation with Jesus as the only way to salvation. You want to ruffle people's feathers? Even people that that are a fan of Jesus, tell them that Jesus is the only way to salvation. You want to ruffle, ruffle feathers? You want to find out, you go, man, I'm not sure if my neighbor is a, is a Christian or not. I'm not sure if my, my, my son or daughter is a Christian. Ask him this question. Do you believe that there's salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone? They go, well, I'm kind of working that out right now. I mean, there's like good people that are Buddhists and Hindus and Mormons. And I go, yeah, there's, there's good people but there's not salvation through anything they believe. If they're leaning that way, if you're leaning that way here today, um, I want to encourage you to explore the truth of God's word that salvation is found only in faith in Jesus Christ. The one who lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. The one who died the death that you and I deserved. And the one who victoriously rose again from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father who's prepared a place for us in heaven where we will live with him for eternity, immortal, where there's no sin, there's no suffering, and no more death. Paul suffers because he's a witness to the reality of salvation in Jesus alone. He suffers because of affiliation. My question to us here today is, are are you willing to risk the potential of suffering? It's not guaranteed you're going to suffer, but are you willing to risk the potential of suffering in order to shine and share the only message that if believed can relieve and abolish eternal suffering for others? Nothing else. No other message on earth. It's not a message of of coming dry when you're an alcoholic. It's not a message of of fixing your marriage. It's a message of salvation. It's the only message that will abolish death. Paul has confidence that the Lord will now guard the deposit entrusted to him. And this, this deposit is the gospel. Paul's expressing confidence that God will guard the gospel that was entrusted to him, and now it's entrusted to us. 
The true gospel will be proclaimed until Jesus returns on that day. When Jesus comes back, verses 13 and 14, and now Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We're going to finish this. So, so uh, stay with me on this because this is huge. Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words or healthy words that you heard from me. Here's what Paul isn't saying. He's not saying that for you to be a Christian, you need to um, sell your house, you need to sell your cars, get rid of your gym membership, and that you need to go to Africa or Asia Minor or places like that, Greeley, Colorado. Um, You don't need to do any of that. (laughs) Sorry, Jeremy. What he's saying is, he says, follow my sound words or healthy words. He's saying that the gospel is the gospel. The gospel is timeless. The gospel doesn't change. Salvation has always been by faith in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was salvation that way. In the New Testament, it'll be that way. It'll be salvation that way until Jesus comes back. So he's saying, follow my pattern. Use your giftedness, use your personality, but know the gospel. Know what you believe. Don't be ashamed by it and proclaim it. It doesn't change. God will guard it. Finally, we're to be concerned not only with the message, but the tone of the delivery. He says this, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means the gospel message doesn't change, but we're to shine and share it in faith, knowing that we can't save anybody. Only God can save people. In faith, knowing that that our success is measured by faithfulness, not by conversions, and by the love of Christ, by, and love that are in Christ Jesus, to do it lovingly. I'm not going to point my finger at Sharon and tell her that she's a worse sinner than me. In love, it's a loving gospel. And here's where we get in trouble, is when we share the gospel without love. And here's the other place we get in trouble, is when we love people without the gospel. And we're serving people. We're serving their temporal needs without um, giving them the gospel that can take care of their eternal needs. Are we really serving them? So yes, follow Paul's pattern of sharing sound, healthy words. But do it with a, with a tone and an attitude that is loving towards outsiders, with the love of Christ. And finally, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit, do all this by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. He says to Timothy and to you and I, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This church, we're going to guard the good deposit that's entrusted to us. That by God's grace, we're not going to preach a different gospel. And that's one of the reasons that we're committed to raising up men and women from the inside. Is that we're going to stand firm on this. Because we can't stand firm on this. We're this. But we're going to stand firm on this. So Paul encourages Timothy and the church to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And guard means this, to protect something so it is not lost or damaged. Guard the good deposit. Protect it, the gospel, so it's not lost over the years. That's happened in America. It happened in Europe. Guard it so it is not lost or damaged. 
So church, we have a great privilege. We have a great responsibility to both guard, protect it so it's not lost, and to share the gospel to lost and damaged people. We have a great privilege and responsibility. And we do this by standing in the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that if you're going, wow, I'd like to do more of that. I mean, I really, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I feel kind of guilty right now, Dan. When, here's, here's what the Word says. Don't feel guilty. Don't, don't be uh, manipulated into um, sharing your testimony, the testimony of the Lord. Marinate in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the gospel that you heard that saved you, stand in it. Stand in it up to your ears. And remember that God saved you by his purpose and his grace for his purposes. And remember that there's nothing that you did that was good enough to earn favor with him. And there's nothing you can do that's bad enough for him to boot you out of his orphanage. That we are saved by grace and we are secured by grace forever. And that's our motivation. Don't you want other people to hear that news? It might come with suffering. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for uh, your glorious word. Um, God, thank you for your glorious life-saving gospel. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the church. I thank you for um, the church, Big C, um, all around the world, where there are men and women and children that are armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are following your calling to go to the remotest places to make disciples who make disciples. And God, I, there's a sense I, that, um, that actually going uh, would be a lot easier. Because then we wouldn't be sharing with people that could actually reject us and we would care about. So God, I pray that right here in our context, in the Little Seed Church, Windsor Community Church, the, the, this local expression of the greater body of Christ, God, I pray for the saints that are part of this congregation, that you would enliven our spirits, that you would give us a resolve to want to share the gospel with people that are broken and damaged and lost. And knowing, God, that we are ones that you have entrusted with the gospel and that you have given us the solution to their predicament of a dead soul and a hit in the finish line where they will be separated from you forever. So, God, we thank you that we can operate with both faith and love, a faith knowing that you're the one who saves people. No pressure on us. But, Lord, we look at it as a glorious privilege that you decided to use us as a primary means of bringing people into your kingdom. What a privilege that is. We love you. We, we look forward to what you're going to continue to do in and through us as a local church body for your glory in northern Colorado and by your grace to the ends of the earth. And God's people said, amen.